Welcome to Making Conversations, a podcast from makers Gemma Millen and Robin Galway. Today we are making conversations with makers featured in the pinned exhibition from ACJ SNI. Hi everyone, welcome. This episode is a bit different. It features best friends and makers Stuart Kearns and Eddie Doherty. Silversmith Stuart interviews Goldsmith Eddie about his work and background in jewellery, so I'll hand it over to Stuart. We've known each other from college, mm-hmm. so you're obviously, your background is, you come from Letterkenny, from a farming family, so how did you end up in glorious Hollywood as, a, as Northern Ireland's premier <laughs> Goldsmith? <laughs> Did my first course. <laughs> <laughs> um... Growing up on the farm was fantastic, like, do you know what I mean? Even though I couldn't wait to get away in a certain kind of thing, maybe it was more got to do with, like, I knew that this wasn't the thing that I wanted to do, and I was never a farmer, and even though I enjoyed, you know, working with my hands, and, you know, the whole farming thing, and the way my parents run the farm is actually really, really nice, and, you know, the sheep and cattle, and you see them kind of grow up, and well, to a certain extent, before you sent away, but, and then it's the, you know, there was always really good times in the, in the farm as well, it's like, on silage or the barley, and, you know, the lambing season was always, was always nice, but then, as I said, I just, through school, and I kind of knew, I always knew that I wanted to be. You wanted to be creative? I wanted to be creative, I knew that I was absolutely, I'm going to curse again, <laughs> I knew it was good for nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. That I had this thing that I went, oh, that's a niche, that's quite important, that's something that nobody else has. Maybe I didn't know that at the time, but I, yeah. I definitely knew it later. Yeah. I mean, you were, when you came into the department, you came from textiles, you were quite... Yes. And you were very textile you, you liked doing stitched things, and you mm. do patterns and pattern kind I can't believe you told people about that. Well, you know, sorry. Eddie, <laughs> like making dresses, <laughs> but um, but you did. You really, and that was and, and that, but that was really interesting because you made really interesting jewelry. Then you would bring, you would, you would do forge these big forge steel pieces in there. Yeah, do you remember you made the the denim bodice. With yeah, that? yeah. I kind of like well, I suppose coming from Derry and doing the two years in Derry, I kind of I could never figure out what I wanted to do because I was always interested in everything. The only kind of thing I maybe wasn't really interested in is maybe graphic design or ceramics. Um, but painting was really cool. It's always probably because you're a kid and then it was like, oh, I'm going to be a painter. Yeah. That's that's the thing that you wanted to be like. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Because coming from the farm, I was quite isolated. I didn't have a wide lot of friends. I've never been a wild outgoing you know maybe in college it was a wee bit more party-ish but I never had hundreds and hundreds of friends I had two or three good friends and that was it like so isolated to a certain extent where you're as you grew up in Donegal that's what you thought being an artist was a painter oh I'm gonna sell paintings or do this kind of thing so through dairy it was brilliant because they just let you do everything that was Um, that was doing your was it uh, that's a B-Tech. B-Tech. It was a B-Tech TMBQ or something thing like that there. And it's like, it was like, it was more or less a foundation, but it was two years. Yeah. 
and then I veered towards Belfast because uh, financially that was the only one I could afford. I kind of thought, right, well, Dublin's going to be too expensive. Dublin was too far away from Donegal. I was a bit of a home bird. I didn't live in Derry when I was in, I still worked in, in Letterkenny. And then going to Belfast was a big, big culture shock as well. Like, dear mm. God, I was like a fish out of water. I couldn't believe how busy everything was. The first couple of weeks in Belfast were very confusing. Didn't really know. It was like I was always going to be my first year in secondary school. Didn't know what the hell was happening. I had to repeat my first year in secondary school because I didn't take anything in in the first time. Mm. So I, they just sent me back and it was fine then. Um, you know, I was not always scared or anything like that there, but it just sometimes I was so used to my little bubble and, you know, at home, the nearest person is a half a mile away. Yeah. Not maybe half a mile, a quarter of a mile, but, you know, the nearest shop is three miles away and the nearest pub is two and a half miles away like you know what I mean you know you might have as a kid you might have went into Letter Kenny maybe once every couple of weeks and all I knew was the form all I knew was very small amount of people so yeah when I came out to Belfast first I probably didn't like it I can probably always kind of had that. I always thought it was very privileged to be in Belfast and very privileged to be in the art college and I always thought it was really important. Mm. And I was like, this is quite important that I do this. So I think that's probably let me stick it out. Mm. And I was very poor. Mm. I was had no money whatsoever um, for the first year, six months maybe. It didn't work. And then when I got a job in one of the supermarkets and I started to know people you know, starting to know people and you know, I, cl- I clicked with people in Belfast but never really you know, that's the thing. Like I hung about with more of the people that, that I worked with. Obviously knowing you and Susie and everything I got there. But then that yeah, that's what brought me on to the jury. I think it was just that I could work with my hands and I could work with metal and it made sense and and it gave me the freedom to do whatever the hell I wanted. So hard not to curse. <laughs> um, but yeah, college was fantastic. I yeah. absolutely loved it. Yeah. If yeah. I stayed there for the rest of my life, it would be great. <laughs> do you know? Yeah. So, coming from college and then you've set up, you've gone through, you worked with Sarah McAleer as a... Yeah, did a lot of years. Didn't do very much for a couple of years after Belfast. Partied quite a bit. Didn't really know, like the college to teach you how to think and teach you how to, this is how to make a piece, this is how to work through your ideas, but none of them were like, this is how to make money out of it. You know, it was really hard, like did my best, ignored it a wee bit just after college, enjoyed having a wee bit of money at the time and not that I had a while off, but I think I drew a friend up here at the time after, I did, yeah. And then, yeah, I just I did a couple of exhibitions and I sold a couple of shops and it seemed to kind of start getting traction. And then um, I did an exhibition with Sarah and me and you did it. Mm-hmm. And she offered me a, a day or half a day a week making her work. And that led into six years later. Yeah. It was full time making all the work, you know, with her. Mm-hmm. Sarah was great because she let there was never anything kind of held back. It was just like, yeah, that's a platinum ring. 
go at it, Dana, that's Diamonds, go at it. You know, and I learned so much with Sarah and I learned I learned what not to do as well. There's some things that Sarah would do that she she, she would agree with some things that I would do and she would disagree with some things that I would do and vice versa as well. You just kind of go, well, you know, at the time it was Sarah's business and she ran it the way she wanted to run it. And then when she emigrated, it was Ian that kind of goes, there's a place up in Hollywood, why don't you have a look at it? And he kind of just more or less said, it's only one piece a month to pay the rent. And that was it. And I just went, right, well, I'll do that. Yeah. So that's when I got this piece. And you've never looked back. I will you know. <laughs> no, it was hard at the start. Yeah. I lived here <laughs> for I think it might have been three or four months and then to yourself and uh, my best mate Ray, one of my best mates, at the time he gave me a he let me stay in his house which I paid much as I could to kind of you know, so I could just kind of have somewhere that I could call you know, have a wash and, and stay. So I stayed more or less here half the week and then went home at the weekend to get a break from it. And it's the same then when I moved in with yourself. And then everything started kind of picking up and I afforded to get a place myself. And then I was like, right, well, and yeah, it was a slog. It, like five years, I would say, of breaking even. And then it started to change. It started to kind of pick up. It's never. I wouldn't say I'm successful. I'd say you were successful. I mean, you've got a, you've got a, you've got a fully equipped studio. Financially, I don't think I'm successful. But I think I made that choice to do unusual work. Well, you make I would make more money doing yeah. ordinary boring. Yeah. So going on to the unusual work. What would you say your influences are then? What influences you to make a piece? I mean, there's, there's stuff you looked at when, in college and then mm. the works have kind of evolved quite a lot and then you're always bringing in new ideas and stuff. So what, what influences you? What sort of stuff do you look at? I think, well, it, the influence that I would get, I would look at different artists and different designers and, like, you know, at the start it was, like, the stuff that... Stephen Webster was doing or some of the English designers that were doing that were like that were kind of complicating the work but still being very contemporary but still having that big foothold in luxury goldsmith top of the line kind of thing influences is probably I just complicate I don't you know I really never knew where my stuff kind of comes from it just kind of pops out of my head and then but I always kind of like if I'm stuck it's usually like film or I started to look at like digital sculptors these days and uh, digital artists and even like guys that are like doing horror movies that do practical effects and there's a couple of French directors that like mix like computer and practical effects and they mix them all together and they're just doing it on a minimal budget but the stuff that they're doing is just like I think about six months ago I decided you know, I was so interested in so many different things and I was like, God, God, I I would never get to the end with three lifetimes, mm. let alone just this one that I have, like, to you know what I mean? And then that was, that's quite kind of like overwhelming that you were just going, oh God, like, there's only a finite amount of time <laughs> to do everything that I want to do. And it never really, and that's one of the reasons why I love to do it, because 
you will never ever get to the end. It's it's endless. It's you're always a the next thing. You're always kind of going. And I suppose that's the thing that kind of keeps it alive for me that it is never ending. There is always something else to learn, and I think that's what I love about it. Like to you know I mean that it's just going, oh. You know, like simple things. Oh, like I like I really want to inlay gold into something, and I'm just waiting on the person to let me do this. Last year it was like, oh, I want to cover a stone with, I want to cover a ring and diamonds. You're just waiting on them people to do it. Oh, I want to do a really long necklace with that has, like, gear mechanisms or do you know, like that looks really industrial and kind of like almost. It's probably, like I suppose, Davian just talked about the work now that is. It is geared towards like pitting different elements into something that fight with each other and make it slightly, I always kind of say maybe it's uncomfortable, but it's not. It's kind of like that they just, they're not the norm to, to pit together. Then that's what makes them interesting. That's what people see. And they go, you know, you could, you could sit in front of a hundred people and they would have a piece of jewellery on but they're only going to notice the really interesting one and then that's how you kind of made the business the people notice the work and go oh where did you get that done and then I suppose with I don't know if I answered your question or jumped ahead but I suppose that's how I run my business is it's all word of mouth and it's all like at the very very start you're always doing Right, well, I need to make this piece, but I need to make this, I need to get 100% of, say, the time, but I need to put 200% in because I want that piece to be noticed. So yeah, you might be doing double the amount of hours that you paid for at the start, but that comes down as you go ahead, and then after a while, you're starting to get paid for, everything's got slightly quicker, everything's the processor, honed in a little bit so you know well, I can do that site quicker, so you know, so it starts to get you start to get paid a wee bit better. And you've obviously established through doing that, you establish a very clear, distinct style and approach to, to making, which distinguishes you from yeah, from you like I, I sure as hell don't want to be like anybody else, like to you know what I mean. And I've made a conscious decision not to be like anybody else because I just go well. well you know why would that be noticed like i do like i do very traditional pieces as well like you know what i mean sometimes you just you know not every piece is going to be this renowned kind of like oh god that's so original so new so you have to kind of pay the bills as well like you know but like even with doing i did a pair of diamond studs last year but they were just set a slightly different way but that was interesting to me nobody else would notice it do you know what I mean? And I was like going, well, it's really strong. It lasts for a long time. You know, they're just well made and they're little things and you're just trying to get all of their elements. You just don't want to put it in a call it and send it out the door because nobody's going to notice that. Mm. Even yeah. it's like, oh, you said it a slightly different way. No matter how simple it is, when people see that, they go, oh, that's actually quite interesting. Where did you get that? It doesn't look like a shop meeting. Yeah. Do you know, it doesn't look like run-of-the-mill or anything like that there, like, do you know, so... So it has your stamp on it and also it keeps it interesting for you to do this. Yeah, story. I think keeping it interesting for me is probably why I don't make... I don't... I, I make an okay money, but I, I don't make loads. I make enough... I don't, I don't really want to make a wild lot of money. I make enough to kind of keep myself 
I make enough to afford with me and my girlfriend to afford a house, do you know what I mean? Like, you know, not a very expensive house, but that's, I don't have a car, I don't have very expensive tastes in clothes or anything like that there. Like, I spend money on little things. I mostly spend money on the business. Like, I wouldn't go, well, Oh, I need a new car. I was like, well, I need a new piece of machinery that I will easily spend ludicrous amounts of money on it, like, you know what I mean? But I'm quite strategic on what I spend. I'm, I mull over it. If I'm going to buy a piece of machinery, I mull over it and go, do I really, really need that? Because I know what it's like to be very poor and to not know where the next money is coming from. And I, I, I kind of maybe slightly probably a bit more cautious than I should be mm. to a oh I can afford to do that or I can go oh yeah, yeah, yeah I'll take that risk I'm a wee bit more cautious I I will mull over things and go do I really really need that and it's like there was just not much point in having a piece of machinery sitting in the studio that you're not going to use yeah just for the sake of going Oh, I kind of thought that that would work, do you know what I mean? Mm. And sometimes it does, you know, most times I kind of go, that decision worked. Sometimes yeah. it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't happen for six months, and then you start to use it. Because then it kind of goes, oh yeah, that could. And you kind of like, you always get a piece of machinery, and you might, you might touch it for six months, but then your mind starts to design around that piece of machinery, and then it, oh, it can mix in with that, or it could work with that or you know that kind of way and then it kind of it almost like like a machine kind of just slightly melds into you and then you start to use it with yourself and you're going like oh it kind of melds into the studio and it kind of becomes part of, part of the actual thing that's in the studio that you go oh well it's like the blue torch it's like oh it's like the 3d printers it's like it's it just kind of slots in and then it kind of becomes this little part of the how you make do you know yeah so touching on that how you make and you just round off a whole lot of different bits of equipment i mean you you're very very into the tradition and idea of and the pride and take a lot of pride in being a goldsmith but at the same time you know you're not sort of bound by pure tradition, very keen to bring in other technologies and meld that into mm. tradition. So, um, and I don't know, the last couple of years you started using 3D design, yeah. 3D printing. Do you want to talk about how, how those two things come together for you in terms of being a goldsmith and, and using 3D printing? Well, I think 3D printing is just one of them other, it's the second element. Like 3D printing is great for creativity and and getting out ideas and maybe model making or do you know it's like did you don't spend oh I'll just I'll make it the way I make it and then I'll just spend six hours making this thing and it's just not right and then you just go right well the 3d printing comes back and even if you're never ever going to make it like it's going to be a CAD model it's going to be cast as that you can make it through 3d printing and then you can add on to it do you know so changes it or maybe it's just a solely a structure thing to build something else onto, or just a solely kind of like, I'll get this idea out, do you know what I mean? I'll see what it looks like, do you know what I mean? And why spend two days making a structure out of silver, or 
wax or some kind of thing where this machine can do it and then you can get on and get to the next point. That was always probably a frustrating thing with tutoring, like, do you know what I mean? My mind was working quicker than my hands could work. And my mind would change quickly. Or go, oh, but what if you did this? And I'm like, oh, I'm in the middle of doing this one. Let me alone with that one just yet. Like, and then you're going like, but then you could do this, but then that, the printer and... You know, I suppose like your own, like working with wax now is a wee bit easier as well. Like I love that because it's very, it's just a complete flow. You don't notice. I don't know how they come out and what, like some of the pieces that I do there, like some of them end up being, but some, most of them are all like very free. It's constantly changing as you make. So your it's keeping up with your head. And it's probably one of the things that's kind of, the wax has calmed me down a wee bit because it's like, all right, it keeps up with me. I'm not getting frustrated with the, oh, the change in my head. What if it went that way? What if it went this way? So it, the wax can change constantly as you go along. 3D printers is really, it's not the be all and the end all. And I don't think a jeweler should go with the be all and the end all. It is another tool. That's it. It's like another hammer sitting in your cupboard that you can use for a specific thing. Sometimes pieces are solely 3D printed. Sometimes pieces are just elements. Sometimes, and it's just like, it's like, that's the way my head is now, slightly kind of mixing the, the old school techniques of jewelry and goldsmith and working with technology and new technology. And it's just, it's kind of one of them ones where you just go, well, that's a cool thing to use. <laughs> I'll just, I'll use it and experiment with it. And it's probably more experimentation. But the goldsmith, thing I don't know it's probably coming from a small town or the goldsmith was always respected I don't know I think maybe I should have been born in 1870 rather than 1977 you know he was always respected it was always a traditional thing to use it's probably got a very probably not very realistic thing about a goldsmith. I've got a very romantic thing about a goldsmith. They're, oh, there's like, you know, there's like a wee wizard sitting doing the thing. Like, um, but that tradition of making a piece for somebody that is really, really important to them. And it's like usually wedding or engagement during an anniversary, or even if they're commissioning a piece that they're committed, they're commissioning you to make something out of your head. And I do feel very, very privileged that that is quite important that paying for stuff out of my head, it's like, who does that? <laughs> do you know what I mean? I don't think I would do it, <laughs> but yeah, it's very important. And I, I do really feel privileged that I can make these pieces for these people, for these important events in their life. It's like, it's not just pieces of jewelry, it's a bit of history, it's a bit of, you know, it's an heirloom. Like I do always say, like I make the piece to outlive the person I'm giving it to, do you know what I mean? So they can pass it down or that kind of way. I know probably that's a wee bit more romantic side of it, but I think that's what I'm kind of like. What a brilliant interview. Thanks so much to Eddie Stewart and to all of you for listening. If you would like to see the current exhibition pinned on linen, it's showing from the 7th of August to the 3rd of September 2021 at Our Space in Lisburn. A special thank you to Our Space, ACJ, SNI, the Arts Council of Northern Ireland 
and all the PIN participants. If you'd like to listen to previous episodes or get more information, please visit makingconversationspodcast.com or check out ACJSMI on Instagram. 